our databases are viable. And one, I don't have the memory anymore. I'm too old to remember what my conversations were or what was what. So I just I rely on it from that perspective. But it's a protection thing, too, you know, and and it's a how do you maneuver faster and you maneuver faster by having information at the tip of your fingertips, right? Like it's like it's being able to get to it and get to it quickly. So I am very meticulous on the data that goes in, Mm -hmm. how it goes in, why it goes in and making sure that we can extract that data because there's no point of putting data in there if you can't extract it. Hi, I'm Courtney Harmon, Staffing and Recruiting Industry Principal at Crelate. This is the Desk Experiences Industry Spotlight Series, where we are talking with the top leaders and influencers who are shaping the talent industry. In this series, we'll be shining a light on popular trends, the latest news, and the stories that laid the groundwork for their success. On today's episode, we're going to be talking with Jen Meyer. Jen is the Senior Vice President and General Manager at Govig and Associates in Arizona. Govig has been a part of the MRI network since 1978 and has not only been the number one office in the MRI network in 2022, but has been number one for nearly the last 30 years. As for Jen, she has more than 25 years of experience in executive search and leading teams to success. Jen was one of the youngest women franchise owners, I think the youngest franchise owner as a woman, and ranked number one cash in during her leadership. That only complements her incredible accolades in working at Govig, where she was not only responsible for operations, but also leads a team of recruiters and strategy and execution to grow national business. Oh, and I forgot. She is still boots on the ground and runs a very successful desk herself. So Jen, thank you so much for joining us. It's an honor to have you here. Thank you, Courtney. I appreciate you asking me. Absolutely. We're so excited. Now, for our audience, Jen has truly has a wealth of experience in this industry, having personally achieved success in a similar role to those of our listeners. She truly understands the challenges, the triumphs that this position gives us and is well equipped to offer valuable guidance to our entire audience. So today, we're going to focus on the operational and foundational aspects of our business that really drive success. Consistent, well-defined processes and accountability for your teams to provide leadership with that comprehensive view of business in general. That really allows your teams to adapt to the changing market conditions that we're even seeing today. As a staffing and operations leader, it is important to really pay attention to how other firms in our industry are moving and operating in these market cycles. And through our conversation today, you're going to hear probably a theme that it truly starts with maybe choosing a platform, a point solution to build your overall tech stack around. It's going to access real-time data for coaching, building, making business decisions for the now and where you want your business to be in the future. And maybe, just maybe, we can get Jen's insights to when the right time is to make such decisions. So Jen, I know I have been privileged enough to know your story and knowing you for a few years now, but can you elaborate a little bit more than I did about you, your team, your company, and just maybe how some of the stories that our audience will hear today can relate to and why it's important? So um, I came over to Govig about seven years ago. Um, I, I obviously, as you said, I own my own franchise and I was approached to take over a division for Govig for somebody that was retiring after 32 years. I mean, just a complete legend 
in the business to talk about pressure of having to fill somebody's shoes. And <laughs> I didn't, by the way, <laughs> I don't fill her shoes. <laughs> so I took over our team and, and frankly, just they, a lot of things had gone rogue. I mean, they had really no processes. It was a team that was very individualized. You know, people ran 360 desks and there wasn't a lot of collaboration or camaraderie or anything like that. And I unfortunately had to realign the team. And so I cut the team in half and have been building and, and growing it for the last, what, seven years. So say I took a year and I just tried to figure it all out. And then I came in with like the black cape basically and, <laughs> you know, did the change. So, so we've been re rebuilding since then. Right now we have 23 people on the team, five of which are operations people, like uh, more internet researchers, sales support mm -hmm. type of roles, and then the rest of them are, are ERs. So that's for your division. What about the entire company? How many are in the entire company? Because I've seen pictures and there's a lot of heads in that picture. There's a lot. So I, I believe we, we always hover around 100 people in the entire organization and, and about at least half of those are operations people from a, you know, management perspective, IT, TA, you know, all of the support teams. But we do invest a lot in the fact that like, look, you know, ERs are horrible <laughs> at admin stuff. And that's just the reality of all of us. And we always expect them to be in that lane and they never are. So we really try to maximize people's strengths and, and compensate for their weaknesses and, and support, give them the support and the tools that just keep them on the phone. So it sounds like that black cape encompassed culture as you came in. It encompassed metrics and driving and accountability. It encompassed a lot of things whenever you came in. 100%. It was all about expectations, processes, goals, how we're going to get there, behavior with who we are internally and externally, mm -hmm. making sure that we're training up the next generation. You know, I mean, we're nobody if we don't have anything in the next 10 years because everybody is retired and or, you know, God forbid somebody got hit by a bus or won the lottery. I mean, it just was all about sustainability of the team, what markets we were going to play in, what we weren't going to play in anymore. I mean, there was just a lot, a lot that had to be done. You talked about markets that you're going to play in. Do me a favor, give our audience and listeners, what are the spaces that you guys play in? I know we chatted about that yesterday, but tell us where your office in general, what spaces you're in. Yeah. Okay, so I have two counterparts in the office that are senior vice presidents. One oversees our biopharma division, and they're a national and, and sometimes even international presence where they um, oversee the pharmaceutical kind of world from concept to commercialization. Mm -hmm. We have a healthcare division, same, that you know are national in, in all aspects of the healthcare world. And then my division, it was known as the Arizona market, which was really the backbone of, MRI, of, of our office, you know, 45 years ago, where we worked on any type of role for any type of company, but we were very tight and specific of working just kind of in primarily the Phoenix area. If we worked outside of that, it was because it was an ask from one of our clients, but it wasn't something that we, we went out and, and we weren't thoughtful in going out and, and finding that business. When I came in, you know, I'm a, I'm a true believer of digs, right? I mean, how do you know where to go if you don't know where to go, right? So I've been trying to kind of bring everybody into, into somewhat of a lane without also cutting us off from good business. And so right now, as it stands, we do work nationally because that's always been my world, right? I've just never, I've never worked in a tight geography. So we do work nationally, but I would say from a, you know, head down driving business, a lot of our business is in the Southwest region. Still a, most of it coming from Arizona, but we have expanded outside of that. 
And industry-wise, we're a lot more specific in back office operations being really primarily HR and, and accounting and finance. And we spend a, a big amount of our time in specific to the construction um, construction world and some manufacturing. Amazing. Thank you for so much for the insights for that. Now, in case our listeners missed it, Jen initially opened her own franchise within the MRI network and was really quite successful in doing so. So Jen, what inspired you to open your own franchise? You know, some people, you know, it's, hey, I don't want to, I want to be my own boss, but what inspired you to do that? And what challenges did you face during that process of doing so? You know, I grew up in an entrepreneurial family. So in true transparency, like I just wanted to provide, I didn't have a family at the time, but I was engaged and getting married. And I wanted the opportunity to where if, if and when I did have kids that I had that world where if I could just, I could balance both, right. And, and try to be a mom and try to be a business owner. And, and it also, I think just at the end of the day, I wanted something that was mine, you know, and, and I was 28 years old, 27 years old. And I, I knew if I didn't do it at that time, I was never going to be able to do it. So I ran a million dollar practice at that time. I had a non-compete that I completely upheld and walked away from and um, started my franchise. And, and it was actually during the last recession in 2002. Everybody thought I was crazy or not the last, but the recession in 2002, right. because I went from running a million dollar practice to like, I couldn't rub two pennies together, you know, type of type of situation. But I just figured I, I was just, I'm a risky person business wise, calculated, but risky. Mm -hmm. You know, I just always believe like we can fix it if it, if it happens type of thing. And so, and, and in my mind, failure is not an option. <laughs> so I just, I don't ever have that thing. So that was kind of the motivating factor of I just wanted to be able to say I did it, right? The challenge was the timing of it, right? I mean, I, it was 2002, there wasn't business. I was walking away from a practice, which, you know, of course, from a ethical perspective, I was going to do, I wasn't, you know, looking to hurt anybody. Mm -hmm. And um, I had to start from scratch. So that first year, I actually, I didn't work on one search that first year, all of my placements came from I mean, in MRI, we call them MPCs or impact players, you know, where you're taking up a candidate to market. And I made, you know, I build, I, I think it was like $340,000 that year purely on MPC placements in a brand new market. And during an economy where people were like, there's no job orders, right? So it was hard. I mean, I'm not going to, well, I hesitate saying hard. I mean, I feel like hard is like fighting cancer, but it was definitely challenging. And it was, it, it was a huge, it was an ego thing, right? I mean, your ego gets bruised a little bit daily when, you, when you're in that situation. It does. But I, I love that you said that because we've actually talked about this. I was on a webinar uh, for SIA and we were talking about merchandising talent in a recession when there's no job orders. It's creating that, those experiences, those scenarios when you don't have the opportunity from your existing clients. But I love that you build $340,000 for the fact that there was no industry experience for that right there. But mm -hmm. during... A similar time that we're experiencing right now. That is very impactful for our listeners as they hear this because you really made something of that. I think, you know, and that's where in our space, even when I came in, you know, I didn't understand the lack of, you know, metrics, right? Or lack of tools to even gather the right metrics or what were the metrics that we were gathering? Because, you know, when I looked at when I was in the business last time through that recession, when we went through the recession in 08, you know, I was owning my own franchise. I saw it coming. I mean, a month before it happened, I saw it coming. And it wasn't because there was like, I was hearing things in the market, but it was like my metrics 
were shifting for no other reason than shifting and they were softening. And so I was able to pivot quicker. Mm -hmm. And in that, in that 08 recession, I mean, I grew my office by 13%. I did not take a hit. And a lot of that came from the fact that one, yes, I knew that it was going to take a hundred phone calls versus two to get a job order. And I just had to put my head down and do it. But the reality was is that I knew I couldn't stay in my space because I would just die on the vine. So when I came into this and I thought, well, you know, we're in a space of Arizona and we're very vulnerable to the rise and fall of the Arizona market, that was not okay for me. You know what I mean? And so it just was taking the bull by the horns and just saying, we're going to do it. You know what I mean? We have to do it, but we've got to have the metrics and the systems in place to know if what we're doing is right. And if it's not, what do we do to change it? What you know? should look like? Exactly. That's exactly right. I love that. Yeah. We're going to come back to that topic. So we're going to put that on the back burner. Obviously, you have a strong track record of success in the executive recruiting space, including that youngest woman franchise owner at MRI. <laughs> I will keep bringing that up. Uh, and keep me those billings. <laughs> I like to brag on you. But talk to me. Can you share any advice that you have for aspiring professionals in our field? And maybe even in a market cycle that we're in right now. You just gave a little bit, but any words of wisdom for those people? You know, when I first got in the business, one I had a woman that I really looked up to that helped me out a lot in regards to just, you know, a go-to person, right, for questions. And one of the things that she had shared with me is if you're asking yourself that question, don't ever ask yourself, ask the other person on the other end of the phone. So it was just giving me the permission to ask the tough questions to either candidates or clients. So I learned that very quickly. But to be honest, like my motto in life has always been like, don't cheat off the dumb kid, right? Like if there's somebody, <laughs> I love that. <laughs> but just like, if you're going to copy something, don't do it from somebody that hasn't been successful. Right. And so often you hear people that will take advice and they'll take guidance from people that have never done it before, right? Or they come into the business and they try to reinvent the wheel. And I'm not saying you can't reinvent the wheel by your own voice. But if there is things that have worked time and time again, do that first, right? Like fail that way first. Mm -hmm. And then once you get that under your belt, then you can tweak it to your own style. And I am one that I do not color inside of the lines, right? Like I don't know how I never have. When I got into the business, we did that chart of personality profiling, right? Yeah. And that conformity side, I don't even think there was a color line. <laughs> no, it's non-existent. I mean, it's just not there, right? So I am not one to follow a process naturally. I'm not, that's just not who I am. I'm not one to, to follow the rules naturally in my personal or professional life. So it took a lot of discipline on my end to just stay within those lines. And now I've learned to become a little bit, you know, I've kind of molded where I'm a little more disciplined in my personal life and I'm less disciplined in my business life. And we've kind of found the right formula. But but it was like I found those people out there because they're out there that are willing to help you. But I only listened to the people that had done it before and been successful. And everybody else was just everything else was just noise in the background. Such great advice. Mentorship is so key. Um, and I Dude. and I love that you're like, I don't conform. I don't conform to it. But then you're an operations person and you follow process and you hold data and metrics. I love the irony between that. Yeah. Hey, if following a process makes you money, like, hello, like follow the process. Like, why do you have to be so... Makes money for everybody. You know? More of it in the long run. 
more huge yeah okay so how has the background of yours we kind of talked about that background of owning your own firm and truly being feet on the streets running your own desk how has that influenced your leadership style at govig we, we just kind of talked a smidge about that but any more on that how has it influenced your leadership style personally at govig well, I think for me, like I'm never going to ask my any one of my team members to do something that I wouldn't do myself, right? It's not to say I'm doing it, but I have, and I would if I needed to. My team knows the good news and the bad news is I know what they do. The good news is I know what they do, so I can, you know, I can empathize with the struggles and how they're beating their head up against the wall and the conversations they're having, and like you said, the highs and the lows of the business that just come naturally. Mm -hmm. But the bad news is I also know that, and so I know when they're telling me lies or like, you know, they're just feeling sorry for themselves. And so I'm a big tough love, unfortunately, type of person. I mean, I'm a great cheerleader, but I'm gonna tell it like it is. And so I think from a leadership style, people know that I'm just gonna be real with them. I'm not going to candy coat anything. I do have a style that I do ask their permission. Like I ask them, okay, what are your goals? Where do you want to be? What do you think you need to do to get there on a scale from one to five? How motivated are you and dedicated are you to do it? And then based on that number, I'll say, okay, based on that, you know, I need your permission. Then when I don't see the behavior that's going to get you there, I'm going to call you out on it. Yeah. And I can't have you get mad at me, you know, and I can't have you feel like I'm micromanaging you. And because the reality is I hate to do it. Don't put me in a position where I'm having those conversations, but I will. Mm -hmm. And I'm not having that conversation because I like to have that conversation or I feel like I need to have, you know, that I feel I need to have that conversation. I'm having that conversation because you gave me the permission to have that conversation. And so I do think that there's a style there that is, you know, I'm tough, but I like to have fun. I want people to make mistakes. People will not get in trouble for doing it. I like that they take the risks and I'm, I'll always have their back, but they will not always agree with my decisions. You know, you know tough so. love is good. And honestly, having the, the teammates to be able to go all out when they're saying, no, this is what I want. So you're attributing to what their success that they want. So you're helping drive that. Great. I love yeah. it. And if they don't want it, I'm fine with it, but I'm not going to break my back over it. You know, I'm not going to carry their monkey is basically the, the reality. <laughs> you know, it's their monkey. I love it. Now, when we talk about that, there's obviously challenges that you faced in this role specifically. I know that there are SVPs and operations leaders that are probably going to listen into this podcast that would love the insight of an office that does over 500 placements a year. What are the challenges that you faced in roles here at Govig? Yeah, you had the black cape. You kind of learned that in the beginning. But what other challenges are you facing that others might relate to? I mean, look, I think that we face every challenge that every office of every size faces. We just face it on a greater scale because we have so many people. You know, you still have the the challenges of getting people to put stuff into the system and, and making sure that they're getting the right metrics and, you know, and, and driving it that way. One of the things that we're heavily focused on, and it's something that I'm, we kind of put the stake in the ground prior to me being here, but then it kind of fell off. And, and I've now taken the initiative of, of trying to give the tools and resources needed in order to, to go in this direction. But we've really, really pushed from going from a you know contingency style firm to that direction of fully retained. And when I say fully retained, I don't mean engaged. We've been doing engaged forever, but fully retained in the sense of like, you know, we actually charge a third, not 30% even. We charge a third. There's three payments. Like it's it's a fully retained thing. And we have made such strides in that area. I mean, this year, the largest placement that that I was able to bring in and work with the team on 
the fee was came to I think it was like three hundred and eighteen thousand dollars, right? One fee, right? So it's just getting and playing in that space of you know it's like being a waitress, right? You can either be a waitress at Denny's or you can be a waitress at the greatest steakhouse. Neither is a better or worse role. It's just what do you want to do, right? Do you want to be in that fast paced, highly transactional, you know, just moving, moving, moving like your attitude, which is there's there's room for that in this business. Or do you want to be the person that's super consultative? You're working on less deals. They take longer. They're more complex, but the fees are greater. Mm-hmm. You know, you have to have a lot of patience for those deals. And there's everything in between. But like, where do you want, who do you want to be? And we've decided as an organization that a majority of us want to play in the space where we're getting bigger fees. You know, that's our biggest challenge because we walk away from a lot of business. We have tough conversations. Um, You're asking people that are barely getting job orders to say no and not negotiate your fees and not, you know, I mean, it's just so I think everybody in this business can relate to that. Mm -hmm. We just have... 60 people that were <laughs> telling you need to walk away from business then. And when you're starting out in this business and you're hungry and you're desperate, there are so many people that would mow the neighbor's yard or build an igloo or whatever, whatever someone needs. But that probably attests to your processes and your training that you teach them probably from the get-go that has made that lasting impact on your business is my guess. Yeah. I mean, it just... You know, it's all about what your worth is. What do you feel like your worth is? And if you don't have a dialed in process and that you can share with your client that is justifying why you charge the fee that you have, then don't ask for it. Because at that point, you're just pedaling backwards. You know, if you're committed to having that, then ask for the fee because you do deserve it. I think that's where a lot of recruiters go wrong is they just don't know who they want to be when they grow up. And everybody wants the engagement fees and everybody wants the, or they're afraid like they have a contingency client and they're like, oh, well, if I ask for an engagement fee now, they're not going to want to work with me. So, okay, but they'll come back. You know, they'll always come back. It's like that love saying or whatever, you know, (laughs) whatever. I'm really bad with those things, but like, you know, it's just like that, but it's a hard decision. I mean, that's really, really tough. But I, what I will say is I've started a lot of digs, right? That was just kind of my MO is I would, I was always great about starting new practices and then turning them over to people. And, you know, the one thing I will say is that when you go out and you're in the business new, especially, or at any time you're with a new client and you negotiate that fee, you will never get them off of that. You can't raise them. You can't, it's harder to shift somebody that you're working with to new terms than it would be to just go out and find clients. And it's hard to see that at the time, but I think as people are in this business, they gotta know what their end game is. Mm-hmm. And whatever it is, it is. I don't think that any of us can judge anybody as long as it's moral and ethical, but. You got to be true to it. I love it. And now for our listeners, not everybody is an MRI person. Right. Dig is discipline, industry, and geography. Yeah. So So it's when you're choosing what space that you want to work in. I just figured I'd revisit that just because I know that's good. good. I forget. Yes. I love it. Yes. What is your specialty? Yes. Now, obviously, we've seen changes in executive search. How do you think executive search has changed and shifted as of recently? And maybe how do you think it's going to continue to evolve? What have you seen in your business and organization and where do you see it might go? 
I think as we sit today versus even where we were five years ago, and this, some of this is just everybody has access to everything, is that you know our candidates and clients have just gotten a lot more intelligent. And I'm not saying they were stupid people. It was just that they weren't intelligent about what we did. And so their expectations are a lot greater. And so, you know, I, I think conversations and getting business is a lot more difficult because the competition is still out there, but you're, they know more, right? They're asking tougher questions. And so I think that it, you can't go in not knowing your, your business. So I think that's difficult. You know, I think even what, six months ago, it was all about a candidate driven market. And I'm not saying that it, it's not anymore, right? I mean, I think that we still have, it hasn't completely shifted to the other side. But I think that we're in the process of a reset. And frankly, we needed it. I mean, it's just like, not that I want people to be laid off and not that I like there to be hardship on anybody, but from a business perspective, like we needed that, we need a reset because people were getting really unrealistic and it was driving this cost up for companies. And at the end of the day, they weren't going to be able to sustain that cost, right? So what we're seeing today, we did, we certainly have had a situation where we were you know, busy, busy, busy. We couldn't, you know, we didn't have enough people to fill the roles that we had in regards to internally or candidates. I mean, it was all around. And we can't, we did come to kind of a screeching halt, like in November, like all of a sudden we were just like, you know, filling what we had, but we were in those normal conversations of not just, yes, we may have positions open, but we're going to wait till Q1, which is normal in November, right? But those conversations started to become not only are we going to wait till Q1, but it's we're going to evaluate it in Q1, right? So there was just there's a lot of cautious optimism out there, mm -hmm. but like it just you're getting into those conversations. So we had to switch our dialogue because we were going from roles that were going to be uh, new roles within an organization, you know, because they needed more headcount to do the business to now we're replacing, you know, we're in those top grading conversations of, okay, so if you're going to downsize or right size or whatever you want to call it, or you're not going to add these roles, are the people that you currently have talented enough and have the skill set to take on all of the responsibility that you're going to need them to take on? Mm -hmm. And I would say it's a 50-50 shot on whether they do or don't, right? Right. And so your conversations start to create opportunities out there because you may have that person that could be better than their worst person. Yeah. Right. Or you could go find the person that is better than their worst person. I think the only thing that you're overcoming with that is just this feeling of loyalty that people have to their people. You know, is it bad etiquette to be replacing somebody that, you know, you already have? I mean, there's some of that, but the conversations shift. Mm -hmm. We talked earlier and I said, like, you know, it's been slow. And, and I'm telling you, it's just like, it was like, you know, manifesting it out in the marketplace or whatever. But we are, I mean, even just in the last few days, people that were holding in, in November and December have come back to us. So, I mean, I don't think we're going to be where we were, right? I do think that there's going to be a little slowdown. And I think the most important thing is that the recruiters are going to have to just lean in a little bit more. But the business is out there. I mean, for sure. You know, have you shifted even with your teams to I mean, I'm sure this is already part of your daily process, but have you pushed the selling, the merchandising talent, the MPC concept within your teams right now with a slowdown? Yes, I go into it a little bit different to where I give them and say, like, look, you may not place that person. It's just mainly giving you a point of conversation to go into and opening the dialogue. Mm -hmm. And I think that that's a different mindset because it used to be taught to us, like, you got to go out and place this person. So you were just like real slick and you were one track to say like, I got to place this person and you weren't listening to what the client was saying. But 
I, I really just tell my team, like, look, you're probably not. I mean, you have a one percent chance of placing this person, and that's fine. You know, go play the lottery um, that day if you do, because you're exactly. you're on to something. But you're right, it's exactly. actively listening. What it sounds like you're teaching your teams is it's really actively listening. It's really pushing those conversations in the right direction, not just the hey, do you need a guy? I got a guy kind of concept. Exactly. So, you know, I have a lot of, I have a lot of young people on my team that came in for fulfillment because we had so many job orders and we've shifted to where their business developing their MPCing. That's awesome. You know, I do, I meet with them for two hours every week. We do call reviews. We sit, I need them to hear the buying signs. Mm -hmm. I've also leaned in a little bit to say like, look, just get the person open to a discussion with us. Mm -hmm. I'll come in with you. I do think that that's another thing too, is that we don't do enough of this it's always like, what's in it for me attitude. I think that people feel like, well, I don't want to step in on that, that person's toes because I want them to, you know, have the authority or whatever, whatever the thinking is. I don't think that way. I always think two heads are better than one, Yeah. you know? And so I do step in a lot with my team. I think that's great. And they have a great mentor to be able, you talked about mentors there. You're their mentor to be able to learn and hear and get something from someone else smarter than they are. So I think that's amazing. Yeah. Absolutely. You kind of just touched on this a little bit. So I'm going to steer this direction. Obviously, one of the biggest challenges in leadership and staffing and recruiting industry is accountability with your teams. Some can look at it as that micromanaging, but from a leader's perspective, it gives us that holistic view or point of view of the business that helps you make key business decisions, move businesses forward. Accountability is truly that key piece to our puzzle. We even talked last, I think the last conversation, you mentioned something about providing guidance and bumpers to your teams and the importance of that. Can you talk about how you foster that environment with your teams? What are the key operational items that you've maybe implemented? How do you get their accelerated success? Heck, or maybe something you tried that maybe hasn't worked in the past because we've all had those (laughs) failures, right? We've learned from those and gone forward. I'll tell you what has not worked. 100% is when I don't have them. That has not worked. When you don't have them. It has not worked have any guidelines, right? Ah. It does not work when, you know, a lot of the people, if you think about the people, and this is a stereotype a little bit, I mean, not every, I mean, recruiting as a whole, fortunately or unfortunately, has so many different types of people have been successful. There's not one formula to say, if you have this type of background or personality, then you are going to be successful, right? So this is a little bit of a, of a generalization, but we do have an industry that is very competitive right? No matter what. So you came from a competitive environment, whether it be debate or football or whatever, it just, you're going to be competitive. And so if you look at anybody that is the best in their craft and anything, they had guidelines, right? They had that accountability. I mean, we need it from losing weight to working out to anything, right? So I don't know why accountability in our business would be any different. Mm -hmm. And it's not, so I tell my team, the way I use it, as I say, look, especially in the beginning, because you don't have, I do manage everybody their own metrics. I don't have an overarching metric where I say, you have to hit this metric. Okay. Because I do think people have their own way of running their their practices, right? In the beginning, we kind of all know this is an overarching generalization of where you need to be. So we use that as a guideline, right? In their first year. After that, it's based on their own metric. Yeah. And so you look at that and I always back into them to say like, you know, what do you want to make? And we back into that to break it down to almost like reduce it to the ridiculous of what they need to do on an everyday basis to get there. 
But I also know that, you know, a week can make up a day, a month can make up a week, a quarter can make up a month. I mean, you know, it's not a do or die where I don't want people navigating from a place of fear Mm -hmm. that if they don't hit that metric on a week basis or a month basis that I'm going to fire them. Right. Especially if the effort is there at that point, you got to determine because I share with them and I say, look, if you're doing what needs to get done and you're getting the results. And those results are coming at the level that we have set as a minimum expectation on a result, you know, from a billings or cash in perspective, then usually I'm okay with that. It's when they're not that I have to manage to the metric. And I don't like managing the metrics because again, I mean, I'm not, I'm not an operational person that loves analytics. I don't like to sit there and, you know, crunch numbers. Right. But I will manage to the metrics if it gets them to where they need to go. Mm -hmm. But if I don't have those metrics, I don't even know what to shift or adjust. So they're actually putting themselves at a disadvantage and they're doing themselves a disservice and myself a disservice if I can't guide them. And I tell them when I hire them, like, look, I'm here to make you successful. But if you're not going to give me the tools to do it, you know, if I wasn't going to give you the tools to do it, then why are we even getting into this? Right. So I don't want them again. A big thing is the navigation of fear right? Where they're only as good as their last placement, or they're only as good as their last, you know, or they have phone time that we're managing, and they're just doing it for the sake of getting phone time. You know what I mean? Like, what does that mean? That doesn't even make sense, you know? So there are baseline metrics that I measure, that I track, but I really only bring them to play in the beginning for a rookie to know what their bumpers are. (laughs) Like, here's the lane that you need to stay in. You know, if you have high phone time and low call volume, but you got something out of it, great. If you have high call talk time and low volume, but you got something out of it, great. If you have high both, fantastic. But if you have low both and no results, then we got an issue, right? Like, so it's just like, it's looking at that. And 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 so, and usually I get buy-in around that, you know, where people don't mind sitting down and talking about it because it's just not, I'm not talking at them. I'm getting their buy-in from it. Now, are you able to manage that all through your ATS, mostly with all of the metrics and the goals and the accountability that you have within your team? I mean, for those operations people that are on the other end of this, like you know as well as I do, there's people, they have the spreadsheet and they have a this and they have to, well, I, if you want this report, I have to be able, give me two days or two weeks to be able to compile all the things that you need. Are you able to manage all of your your information with your teams on accountability through your ATS? For the most part, you know, we've ha- certainly had situations where we've had to manage it externally yeah. or maybe our or maybe our platforms didn't talk to each other, you know, in the sense of just they were, weren't integrated with one another. Um, so that sometimes gets difficult. We certainly have gone through the, the paces of double work mm-hmm. of like taking it out of this and putting it on this spreadsheet and all this. You know, we've absolutely streamlined that. So almost, I would say almost all of our reports can be pulled from one area now. Snapshot of the business, live on the go. There, It is, as you function, you get reports. Shameless plug, I hate to say this, but our last conversation, we really talk about your office's recent decision to change ATSs. Yeah. And you actually, selfish plug, came to Crelate. We're very yeah. excited to have you. Yeah, it's been great. Talk to me about the decision-making process of why now. Because, you know, we've we've talked about this potential looming gray cloud that we have going on that makes people panic. So why did your team make the decision right now to make the change of an ATS? At the end of the day, it came down to the fact that we were using a pretty archaic system, right? The system was not working for us. Mm -hmm. So, you know, for many reasons, it was very clunky. It wasn't easy to navigate. 
there wasn't the reporting stuff that we could get out of it. We didn't have the texting capability and all the stuff from a record keeping. So people were having to do double duty to track it. So they weren't, you know what I mean? Like it was just all that. And that's a protection thing too. You know, I mean, I just got into a fee dispute, right? So it's like, I had all the information because it was all right there. Well, if I didn't have that, I don't have a leg to stand on, right? So part of it was that, that we just knew in order to keep our business, at least at times, I mean, we weren't even, we weren't even shooting for ahead of times at that point. We had to do something, right? The reason we made the decision to do it now, frankly, was because we were slow, slower. Okay. It's tough, right? It's a big investment. Everybody's hands are up in the air because they don't know how to even log in. Like they just, you know, they, it is a tough decision to make those. And it's, it is labor intensive and it's challenging anytime you change a system, right? That doesn't have anything to do with Crelate. Crelate has actually been a lot easier, but it's going to be challenging, right? But because it was slower, our people have the time to learn it. I mean, if we were where we were even last February, there is no way we could have. I mean, we were in the midst of huge initiatives of 100 positions like i mean there's no way that people could have stopped and said okay i need to go through this hour training or i need to like how do you do this or work slow enough through a a workflow to know how to do it i mean they're just their hair was on fire you know and so we knew we were going to get a ton more pushback and we were going to lose a ton of momentum if we were making the change when things were at its best so again huge financial investment, which, you know, everybody has to think about. But when you think about from an implementation perspective and and trying to do it in a way where it's we're not going to have so many hiccups, the smart thing to do for us was to do it when we were slower. That's a really good perspective. It's almost the concept of slowing down to speed up, too. Exactly. So um, I think that's really interesting. Now, I know just based on GoVake and, and my experience in the network working with MRI, you guys are pretty meticulous with your data. As my guess, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. especially me. Yeah. <laughs> especially you. Yeah. You know, have you ever had those instances? I know we probably have a bunch of listeners, and I've I've worked with a bunch of offices that they're like, well, someone didn't put something in, or they didn't follow a process. But it sounds like to me, and you correct me if I'm wrong, it sounds like you're very deliberate on a your training, b your coaching, so you're able to be able to make sure that data is incorrectly. So. A, am I right on that? And then B, have you ever had an instance that, hey, I've had to do coaching or, hey, this is this important that we can't let it go? Because I'm sure there's people out here that are like, "Eh, if it doesn't get in the system, it doesn't get in the system. I mean, I think all managers are a little different. I will tell you how I manage. (laughs) And I am am like, our database is our Bible, right? And one, I don't have the memory anymore. I'm too old to remember what my conversations were or what was what. So I just, I rely on it from that perspective, but it's a protection thing too, you know, and, and it's a, it's a, how do you maneuver faster and you maneuver faster by having information at the tip of your fingertips, right? Like it's like, it's being able to get to it and get to it quickly. So I am very meticulous on the data that goes in, Mm -hmm. how it goes in, why it goes in and making sure that we can extract that data. Because there's no point of putting data in there if you can't extract it, right? So that's really what I I rely on is that. The other pieces of, you know, we have a lot of overlap on our team. So we have a lot of people that are in the same space. And so you have a situation where, you know, people could be making the same calls to the same people. And then that just makes you look 
bad, right? Like if somebody's like, oh, well, I just got a call from your company yesterday or whatever, that's just terrible. Mm -hmm. And I wasn't going to get into dispute conversations about what client, who owned what client. And I wasn't going to get into dispute conversations of who owned what candidate. I just wasn't. And unfortunately, Courtney, like I have had a couple situations where top billers, I mean, my key people didn't have something in there and felt that they were owed a fee and I didn't pay them. I mean, I just, I had to draw that line, you know, and they didn't like it. I didn't like having the conversation, but at the end of the day, they're the ones that put me in the situation of having to have that conversation. I didn't do it. And they were very clear with what my stance was. There's always gray in our business, right? That's just business in general, but there are things that can be black and white. And those things that are black and white, they've got, you know, you've just got to draw that line in the sand. It's just like parenting, right? Like it's like, Anytime you like give a little, they're going to want more. And you know what? I would too, if I was on the other side. So I don't, I don't blame or judge or anything. Right. But it's just, it's gotta be like, this is my stance, you know? And so because of that, because they know Mm -hmm. they could do all the work and if it's not in there, it didn't happen. It's in there. I bet it only happened once is my guess. Twice, but not with the same person. Okay. fair. (laughs) Everybody learned from (laughs) that. And especially like you joke about getting old, but I, your office makes 1500 calls a day. Nobody can, I don't know when I was running a desk, I couldn't remember at the end of the day that the 60 people that I called. So if you're not putting it in, you're not be able to track it, then how are you being able to be coached? How how do you know what good looks like and how can you get better from it? Yeah, absolutely. I love it. Whenever you have a job order, you know, you look at it and if things aren't going the way that you want, right, you're always thinking about, okay, is it effort or is it the job order? Yeah. And a lot of times it's effort because we always think we're making more, doing more than we are, right? It's just reality. So, but a lot of times it's effort, but but you can't even go to a place of knowing that if you don't have the metrics, mm-hmm. you know? We also, I'll tell you what, I wish I had these numbers. I didn't think about it before we got on the <laughs> on this, but I cannot tell you how many jobs we have filled on full retain, full retainers, that it was a one and done job because we could sit down with our clients. We don't only use those metrics internally, right? We will sit down with our clients and we will say, hey, here are how many people that we've reached out to. We've reached out to 1,500 people, whatever it is, right? Out of those 1,500, we've had 300 conversations. Out of those 300, we... These amount of people were happy. Here's who weren't interested because of location. Compensation was too low, whatever it was, right? And so we're giving that data to our clients to give them market knowledge of what's happening in their market real time, not from these crazy websites and allowing them to make the decision that they need to make for their own team. And because of that, we'll tell them like, look, we'd love to put three to five candidates in front of you, but the reality is it may be one. But we can get the decision off of that one because they know that they're not going to look at us and say, which we've all heard, you know what, I liked them, but I want to see who else is out there. I mean, we've all heard it, right? And it's just like, you know, we don't have those conversations when we have the numbers. Mm. When we have, we don't have the numbers. Guess what conversation we get into all the time? Exactly that. Show me more, show me more, show me more, you know? So it's not just internally. It's not only just an internal guideline of are we doing our job and how are we doing it but it's an it's a it's a tool that we use for our clients to get the fees that we get and to have the process that we have but that's that change to that consultative approach there are so many people that are desperate for business and they're like 
what do you need? You need a purple horn and a green ear and all of those things. I'll find it for you. And it won't exist because clients, let's face it, they're unrealistic. When I was running a desk, there was someone that said, oh, I need someone with iOS experience for 20 years. What didn't exist? But, you know, they wish for the moon. But when you take the approach to say, here I am in all transparency. This is what I can do. This is what other clients I'm seeing. And you you have that full spectrum. You're giving them more knowledge that not only they can use themselves, but they can take to their leadership teams. And it also, you know, when you're in that, you know, pitching mode of trying to, to get the search and determining whether you want it or not, right? It's not even about whether they'll give it to you. It's about whether it's a good search for you to work on. To be able to say to them, look, we just wrapped up a search very similar to this, and here are our metrics. You know, here's an executed timeline. Here's what you're going to be looking at. Here's, and it's not just saying like we've called everyone. You know, we threw the net out there and boiled the ocean and talked to everyone. You know, it just it it gives anytime you have data, data points, it is so powerful in your conversations because it's non-emotional. It just is what it is. You know. And they can decide, you can decide, and it just, it stops the roller coaster that this business can be, you know? So many importance of that one system of record and being able to find data easily. So I love that. Yeah, it's great. I have two more questions. I probably won't keep you any longer. I probably could talk to you all day. Um, <laughs> number, the the first one of those two is, can you tell us any more about your plans to upgrade any more of your tech stack at Govig? How you plan to improve any efficiencies within your business? Is there anything else on your horizon? It's funny that you just asked that because I literally just walked out of a leadership meeting that we're going to be pulling like all of our subscriptions. What are we paying? Where are we? What are we using? What are we not using? There is a couple that I know we're looking into. um, And I I apologize because I'm not the names are, are escaping me. But I mean, it is something that we do look at at an annual basis. And we actually just talked about it probably makes sense to look at it semi annually. Because it just, you know, it's always changing, right? That's the thing is as soon as you decide to get something from a technology perspective, the next best thing has come out, right? But you got to look at what's working for you. Mm-hmm. And so I can't, I can't really answer that, but I will tell you, we're always looking at it. I love. That. I don't think we've ever not. I love that. You know, Number one, being open to the conversation and open to, yeah. I, I love that you evaluate. Um, I had a recent conversation with Maurice Fuller from Staffing Tech, and he really talks heavily about technology, goes consults, but it's one is, are you getting out of your systems what you need, number one, to make sure we're paying what we need, evaluate, but never stop looking. But I think the other caveat is that is don't be fooled by these technologies that say they're the silver bullet that they're going to fix your problem in your company, but reality, it's a process problem or a data problem or another problem. So just to have open eyes of those concepts, I think is is crucial whenever evaluating. I would agree with you 100%, Courtney. I mean, you know, a lot of people just do it because they've always done it. But but and I will say we do have actually something in our system that we track where placements come from. Right. So we can evaluate it annually and say, okay, well, we're investing this amount of money in this process or project product, but did we get a return on investment from it? You know, and there are times the answer is no, and we go, that didn't work and we move on. And there's times that the answer is yes, and we continue to do it or we get more, more licenses or whatever. But yeah, we're always open to those. That's wonderful. My last and final question, Jen, is do you have any last words of wisdom for leaders in the talent business as they start their new adventure this upcoming year? So any words of wisdom for our audience listeners? I mean, listen, I don't know if this is wisdom other than don't try it. 
you're going to try something, go try something else. You know, if you're going to do it, just do it right. Like lean in and do it. You know, it takes a lot of commitment. It takes a lot of focus. It takes a lot of thoughtfulness, but be committed because I feel like people that just try it and it's with anything. It, it doesn't even mean that they're new in the business. It could be that they're trying a new direction, right? A new, trying to find a new industry to specialize in, whatever it is, right? Just put the stake in the ground and be committed to doing it. Because if you're just trying it where you have the toe in the water, you're always going to find excuses as to why it's not working versus looking internally and saying, what am I doing that is either affecting it in a good way or affecting it in a bad way? So either commit or don't, but don't be half in, half out on anything. And again, I don't know if that's wisdom, but it just is, you know, this is a great business. I mean, a fantastic business. You know, I'm an outdoor rec major in college. Like I'm not nice. (laughs) I'm not really like uh, equipped to be, (laughs) be anybody, but I worked hard and I, and I put good people around me and I was willing to take the chances, but I was all in and I've always been all in right now. I don't even know if I'm hireable anywhere else, right? Like if I'm in a protected class, <laughs> but I, I just feel like, you know, I just, I, I, there's no other business that I think would have afforded me the life that I've had. And I do get really excited for people around me to have that same opportunity because it really is fantastic. What other business do you know that could be so involved in learning and talking to key CEOs and strategizing with them and sitting at the table with them and, and having such a wide variety of conversations. I mean, if you're somebody that's intrigued by that, or you're somebody that's curious, you just have a natural curiosity, this business will fulfill everything in your world, right? But it isn't easy. It isn't easy, but it's, I think it's worth it for sure. I love that. That is great words of advice. I probably could use that. Can I record that and put it on uh, repeat for some of my own personal (laughs) motivational stuff? I'm I'm gonna frame it and put it up. I just need a cardboard cutout. Yep, I need a cardboard cutout as well, so uh, you can tell me to go get motivated. I love it. Uh, (laughs) I doubt it, not you. Not you. Thank you so much for joining us today. This was fantastic, and I really enjoyed our conversation. Absolutely, it's good to see you, and thanks for having me. It was good to see you too. Now, Jen gave us some really key information to show what good looks like through operations, managing teams, accountability, and really through data. And as you're having these conversations and leading your teams into next year, or this year, I should say, be sure to have those deliberate conversations and establish that foundational process and measure them before your firms and agencies are really sprinting to scale or trying to find that magic bullet or pain point of your business. Jen said, if it didn't happen in the system, it didn't happen at all. And I fully agree. So having your platform and point solution to build not only your tech stack, but your team around with driven collaboration, cohesion, and data that will strengthen your organization and streamline where you want your organizations to be in the future. So please keep an eye out for our next Industry Spotlight releasing in February, where I will get to sit down and talk with Lauren Jones, founder of Leap Consulting, co-host of You Own the Experience podcast, and advisor for the staffing and recruiting industry. We'll talk to her about her journey to success and what she's seen in consulting and roadmapping for the future, evangelizing your tech stack and the differentiators that you can create for your organizations. Thanks so much for joining us for the Industry Spotlight. I'm Courtney Harmon with Crelate. Thanks for joining us for this episode of Industry Spotlight, a new series from the Full Desk Experience. New episodes will be dropping monthly. Be sure you're subscribed to our podcast so you can catch the next Industry Spotlight episode and all episodes of the Full Desk Experience. 
here or wherever you listen. 